Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Crypto Business Podcast, helping you navigate the frontier of crypto. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Crypto Business Podcast, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for innovative thinkers who want to know what works in the world of Web3. Today, I'm going to be joined by Sarah Bauman, and we're going to explore the second NFT project. Let's say you have an NFT project and you're thinking about launching a second one, or let's think maybe you're a long-term thinker and you want to have a first project and you want to have a second project. Well, we've got someone on the show today who's done this and she's going to share all of her experience. You're going to love it. By the way, I'm at Stelzner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter. And if you're new to this podcast, be sure to follow this show so you don't miss any of our future content. I was recently at Social Media Marketing World, and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at Social Media Examiner. The best of the best of the guests that you hear on the Social Media Marketing Podcast not only teach at our conference, but they're also part of our secret society called the Social Media Marketing Society. Each month, our top-tier guests who have been on my show are invited to train inside our society for an exclusive group of marketers who are just like you. The training is designed to help you go from being a passive consumer of content to a marketer who is in active learning mode. So if you're ready to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. Let's transition over to this week's interview with Sarah Bauman. Helping you to simplify your crypto journey, here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Sarah Bauman. If you don't know who Sarah is, she is an artist and founder of Women and Weapons. It's an NFT project that's designed to help women be aware of their strengths. She's also the co-host of the Good Humans podcast. Sarah, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I am magnificent. Thank you so much for asking. Mild to moderately tired because my husband and I are in the middle of a move at the moment. But aside from that, very, very good. I appreciate you asking. How about yourself? I would never know you are tired. Your energy is like off the charts. Like I'm wondering how higher energy would be if you weren't tired. This is crazy. Well, I, I'm doing great and I'm very excited to talk to you today as we explore what it's like to launch a second NFT project into an existing community. But before we go there, I would love to hear your story. I know you've got a cool story. Like how the heck did you get into this whole NFT Web3 space? Start wherever you want to start. So I will try and summarize it as much as possible because I know it can get lengthy. 
But basically the moral of the story is I have always ever dreamt of being an artist. It's been my passion my entire life. I ended up working in healthcare as an occupational therapist for the last five years. I worked in both outpatient therapy and the hospital system. I do love healthcare, but it's not my passion. You know, a lot of it was my mom was like, you know, you need to be a doctor, lawyer, or engineer. Those are your three options. So I went into healthcare. And so my husband actually started getting into crypto back in like 2017, I believe. He found NFTs in early 2021. And he basically was like, you need to check this out. You need to get involved with this. You need to see what this is about. So I started doing my digging. I really fell in love with the people that I was encountering, the opportunities that I was seeing that would be available, the community that was there. So I started digging in. I think I listed my first piece on OpenSea in like August of last year, I want to say, or maybe July, something like that. And I've basically been hooked ever since. Did you start by selling an NFT or did you start by investing in other NFT projects? I'm just curious started by purchasing other NFT projects. I didn't actually start listing my own NFTs until probably a couple months, I want to say, into like starting to get involved with the space. Tell me, how long was it before you bought your first NFT and then you decided to sell your own NFT and kind of share a little bit of what inspired you to want to go into this crazy space where it's they speak their own language and everything seems different, right? Yeah. So again, I think it was probably like, A couple months of just like looking, lurking, buying, participating in the space. And then I recognized, you know, how wonderful a space it is, especially I think for artists. And, you know, there's absolutely asymmetrical upside to being involved with a space at an early period, right? So as an artist myself, I was like, let's get going on this. You know, this is unique. It's on the blockchain. It's always traceable back to me. Essentially, those digital pieces have my signature on them. And another very special thing that I think a lot of artists can, you know, agree with is the fact that you do get those royalties in perpetuity, which as an artist is a very sustainable thing. But I also loved like just the quirkiness of the community and the fact that people were very positive and open and, you know, willing to help each other. It was for sure an online community that I had not experienced through any other like social media or any other types of avenues. It was something that I felt like was very special. So you decided to do your first NFT. Tell us about what that NFT, was it some one of ones and how did it go? Tell us a little bit about that. My first NFTs were a set. They weren't all listed at the same time. It was kind of like over a course of days and weeks, I believe. It was a set of 10 original gouache painted women and weapons pieces that I did. I had originally painted them. I want to say like, super early in 2021, the entire 10 of them took me like four or five months to paint just because, you know, being in the hospital, especially during COVID, like I just didn't really have a ton of time. So it was the thing that I did in the evening to decompress and was super, super, super blessed in an unbelievable manner that Gary Vaynerchuk was my first collector of my NFTs. He bought three of them originally and then the rest of them basically like sold like hotcakes. How do you think he discovered you? Were you part of the VFriends community? I was not. Actually, he used to post on Twitter that he was looking for unsold one-of-one artists, specifically for like one-of-one pieces, which are like, you know, generally independent artists they create. So I commented on his post and said, hey, Gary, you know, I'd love for you to be my first collector and, you know, posted the link to one of the pieces. Um, I was also simultaneously working in the hospital that day. So all of a sudden I start getting like bukus of notifications from Twitter on my Apple watch while I'm in a patient's room. I run downstairs, I call my husband. I'm like, please just give me like the summary of what's happening on Twitter right now. By the way, my husband has been 
in love with Gary since I think as long as I've known him, basically. So he was crying that Gary had just bought three of my pieces. So he was like, Gary just bought three of your pieces and the rest of them sold out in like 45 seconds. Yeah, very unique, different story for me. And uh, I had already started working on something purpose-built for the space being the 10,000 piece collection that many are familiar with today. But once that happened, I recognized that the time had come to hightail it. And so it was like nine to 10 hour days in the hospital, come home and spend an additional like five to six hours at home working on drawing and getting season one of Women and Weapons pumped out. So how much did you sell those original 10? If you translate it into US dollars, do you have any sense of how much they went for? I don't know what it would translate to in US dollars. I actually haven't calculated that out, but I want to say like it kind of ranged in price from like, I want to say 0.029 to like 0.2 or so. I'd have to look back. And Ethereum was probably around three to $4,000 around that time. Ethereum right? was, yeah, a lot higher back then. How did it feel when all of a sudden they started selling out? Well, you know, it's really hard being an artist, I think, especially in like the web two space, right? Because you hustle and grind. And like, if that's not, you know, your full-time job, it's very hard to get recognized and get noticed. And like, I think for me, it was like for once... I feel like an artist. People want to buy my artwork. You know, I, I had like commissions and so on that I was working on, but nothing ever in the capacity that like Web3 basically created for me. So it was very, I think just probably the most humbling thing I had ever experienced in my entire life. You sell out these initial 10, you're still working in the hospital. Somewhere along the line, you're, you're planning to do a much bigger collection. Do you end up quitting your job and going all in or what happens? I actually continued working at the hospital until season one sold out, which was in October. It was October 23rd of last year. And I think it was like maybe two weeks after that, I stopped working full time and I went down to what's called PRN, which like is basically as needed in the hospital system. So you work as many days as is allowable by the hospital, which could be as few as like two to three days a month. And so I actually stayed working in the hospital until January of this year. And it wasn't until January of this year that I was like, okay, I really need to like dedicate the entirety of myself to women and weapons and building this out and really making this what I envision. And so finally, let's see, October, November, December, it was like four months later, I finally quit my job. So you launched women and weapons in October of 2021. It sounds like that was probably the perfect time to launch, right? How many did you end up selling out the whole collection or what happened? Yeah, we sold out the whole collection. It actually sold out in about four hours, which was bonkers still USA. Yeah. So the whole collection sold out. We were unbelievably amazed, but it was for sure perfect timing. I mean, we weren't sure where is the market going to go? Is it going to continue going up? Is it going to start going down? Nobody knows. But, you know, we were super blessed in the fact that we, we had exceptional timing in that regard. So why don't you just explain what women and weapons means, just because some people might not understand that? Yeah. So very much a play on my dialectic thoughts, I think. I am one of those people that my brain works very much in images as opposed to in words. So I have a lot of difficulty often verbalizing my thoughts, my ideas, my emotions, how I work through things. And, you know, I had seen some ads from the mid-century, like 1940s through 1960s that really put women down. They would say, like, show her where she belongs, keep her where she belongs, show her who's boss. There were ads of, like, men spanking their wives because they bought the wrong type of coffee. And I thought it was interesting, especially during that World War II era, women working in the factories while the men were at war, kind of the dialectic nature of these women, these weapons that 
utilized as like the symbols and the metaphors of the weapons that women carry into their everyday. I kind of wanted it to be like a pseudo Rosie the Riveter, but with a lot of undertones that would allow people to draw a lot of considerations, inferences, and conversations from. Very cool. So that project developed a community. And just out of curiosity about how many people ended up buying into that project, was it like usually people buy more than one, right? So do you have any sense of how big the community was on the first project? I want to say whenever we first sold out, I want to say it was like 3,500 individual holders. Now today we're up to almost 4,800 individual holders of season one. So go ahead and tell us, you you went on to launch another NFT project after this one, right? So tell us the season two, is that what it's called? Yes, it's actually called Women and Weapons Arterium Wars. So we launched that, what was it, June or July of this past year. Tell me a little bit more about what made that project a little different than the original one. First and foremost, I mean, definitely different timing. We had about 100,000 friends and followers across all of our social platforms. And I think it was an excellent opportunity for us to expand our Women and Weapons universe, kind of build upon the lore that was associated with Women and Weapons, kind of build upon that original story. These women, you know, you can actually read the the lore on our website on womenandweapons.io. I highly recommend everybody go do that. But basically, these women have now evolved to create some like special types of powers and they're off on their way to Mars. This was also an opportunity for a lot of new community members to be able to get into an established brand being women and weapons at an affordable price and having a multi-tier product. Also just the opportunity for me to be able to expand a little bit more on my artwork and get to experiment some more as well. And when did that second big collection launch? I believe it was... June. This was in the middle kind of of the crypto winter that's going on or just at the beginning of it? Yeah, literally in the middle of it. How did it go? Actually, it went really, really well. We were super happy about it. And, you know, for us, one of the biggest things was people having an opportunity to get in and buy their first NFT at a very affordable price with an established brand and be able to learn and grow with that NFT. And that's quite exactly what we accomplished. And we've had a lot of people that were really excited about the artwork, about the aliens, about the the fact that we had like a heroines and villains faction. There's an aliens faction as well. So people were super excited about it. And you created all the artwork? I created all the artwork, yes. So it hasn't even been a year as of this recording, has it? I mean, does it feel like it's been two or three years, all the work that you put into this? You know, it's crazy. It's it's amazing how like a month in NFT world can feel like a year um, because I feel like it's been like five years that we've been doing this now. I'm like, am I getting more gray hairs? No. Okay. Mm, well, good. But yeah, <laughs> it's been bonkers how, how much it feels like time has passed. Okay. So let's start with anybody who wants to consider launching an NFT project. When you're listening to this, we don't know if we're still in the midst of this NFT kind of crypto winter. I'm sure eventually it'll come to a close, but there's always probably going to be people that are going to be inspired by your story. And why should someone consider launching an NFT project? You've done two big projects and a small project. So what do you want to say to people? What are the advantages? What are the benefits to possibly doing something with NFTs? You know, I think first and foremost, the NFT space and the technology that it affords to people, I think is very unique. You can create something really, really interesting. I think that people should consider launching an NFT project. You know, if they're wanting to put out something that's really unique, if they're wanting to create a Web3 brand, or if they're wanting to experiment with new models of community and new models of rewards, rewarding their communities and so on, which, you know, we're actually starting to see a lot of that happening with a lot of big brands coming into the space. Like, For example, Starbucks is now in the NFT space and they're 
working on rewarding their community through NFTs. So yeah, that's definitely something that people should consider for sure. Did you ever think that they would be this big? I mean, like this successful when you started? I'm just curious how big your vision was. I mean, are we just getting started as far as your grand vision? Yes. Oh, I think 150%. Going into it all, I think both myself and my co-founder, who also happens to be my husband, we both recognize that like NFTs are something that's really special. It's very unique. I think we just hit the tip of the iceberg. And I think both of us have very much the thought that like, there's going to be a lot of amazing things that are done with NFTs, with Web3 technology and so on that most likely we can't even fathom just yet, but I think it'll continue to surprise and delight us. So the main focus of this podcast is really the second NFT launch, right? And so many people, when they launch an NFT, they don't even think about the fact that there will be a second launch. I mean, did you have that vision in your mind when you actually launched the first one? Were you already thinking about the second launch or did that come later? I'm just curious. Yeah, actually, you know, it's so funny. I was looking through some of the files on my computer the other day and I was looking that I was actually already starting on some of the artwork like shortly after season one launched because I knew I wanted to continue building out the storyline and getting to create artwork and uh, getting the opportunity to experiment. So that was something that was kind of in the plans already for me. Um, I certainly don't think that it's in the plans for everybody. And I don't think that it has to be in the plans for everybody, but it just had to for us really nicely. And, uh, you know, for us, for our community, it was great to be able to reward our community with additional artworks that I had created, i.e., you know, the season two artwork, because we actually ended up airdropping those artworks on a one-to-one basis to our season one holders as well. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about the why and want to kind of explore this a little bit. Like why should someone consider launching a second NFT project? And why did you launch an NFT project? Like, because I would imagine some people are thinking it's hard enough to launch my first project let alone consider doing a second one, right? So maybe unpack that a little bit as to why this might be advantageous. Well, I think first and foremost, it has to make sense for what it is that you're building. It has to make sense for who it is or who you are as a brand, I guess I should say. Like I said, you know, it may not be the best fit for everybody. For me, basically one of the biggest rewards in relation to season two was the fact that I was able to give additional artwork to our season one collectors, but also allow a lot of people who I'd been getting messages from day in and day out saying, you know, I want to participate in Women of Weapons, but unfortunately I can't afford a season one Women of Weapons. This gave these people that opportunity to be able to get into this environment with us. But, you know, also the technology is ever changing. So perhaps you're going to have more opportunities with, say, whatever the second season contract is that you're utilizing to be able to provide more things to your community, to people. And I think that's absolutely something that could be something special for whoever the founders are. But, you know, I think first and foremost, it has to make sense for who you are as a brand and it has to make sense for what it is that you have a vision to create and do. So you mentioned a lot of people or a fair amount of people wish they had gotten in on your mint and it obviously had gone up in price over time and it was out of their price range. And you said that this new collection gave an opportunity for these people to kind of become part of the community, right? So talk to me about why that is valuable to you as a business and what you're trying to build. Why why is it valuable to expand the community? I mean, let's talk about that a little bit. Well, I think it's for any brand, it's valuable to expand your community. I think it's great to bring more and more people into the community and it's great to really support and allow that diversity to thrive, right? Right. 
I think the way that you're going to build a very healthy community is to allow a multitude of individuals to be able to join. And so that was something that we certainly saw as advantageous. Instead of being exclusive, we were wanting to really be inclusive as much as possible. Now, you said you airdropped. Was there 10,000 in the original collection and how many were in the second collection? Yeah, so it was 10,000 in the original collection. In the second collection, it's about, I think, a little bit over 13,000. So 10,000 were airdropped one and over 3,000 were minted from people who were not involved with season one. Got it. And did you intentionally decide to kind of not make it too huge? How did that go? I mean, because that's unusual that, you know, sometimes you hear like, look what Gary Vee did with 50,000, right? And you see some people do 20,000. Like, what was the strategy behind just adding 3,000 more onto the collection? So what we actually did, um, it wasn't that we basically added 3,000. It was that we actually did a one of one of X type of drop, basically an open-ended drop with a time cap. Ah, okay. We weren't minting 10,000 pieces. We weren't minting 5,000 pieces. We were saying, let's see what the market is demanding. And so let's give these people, you know, five days or seven days to mint. And we're going to cut it off at that time cap. And that's what the market is deeming is appropriate at the time. And so that's actually what we ended up doing as opposed to giving it a specific number cap. Did you airdrop the 10,000 though, or did you make them pay the gas or what did you do exactly? I'm just curious. Yeah, no, we airdropped the 10,000. So no payment of gas or anything. We just airdropped it to our, our season one holders as like a thank you, a gift, an additional piece of artwork that they get to enjoy because, you know, we love giving back to our community. So then the remaining 3,000, the mint period was open and however many you sold, I would imagine, did you have a cap on that or was there no cap on how many would be sold? No cap. Okay. No cap. How long did you keep it open for? I want to say it was five days total. Okay, cool. And in the process, you added thousands, potentially more into the community. Very cool. Exactly. Yeah. It's actually really fun to be in Discord and see people coming in that had bought a season two women and weapons that were just beyond ecstatic to be a part of the community, to be a women and weapons holder. It's really, really special, really, really sweet to see that people were able to join that had been wanting to join for, you know, six months or so. Now, you mentioned the word lore multiple times and, you know, a lot of collections don't launch with a story. They add stories sometimes later. Did you have a, a lore when you launched the initial collection and did you expand on that or did you develop that as you were launching into the second collection? So I guess you could say I sort of had a lore in the fact that like it was derived from my artwork, right? Which basically came from that, that mid-century woman making that mid-century woman appear powerful. And then the additional creative lore was basically expounded upon with time. So for example, I'm a massive history buff and so I wanted to take a little bit of the lore that went into season two, that gradient of season one to season two from the radium girls of the 1920s, as well as women entering the war workforce during World War II in the 40s, and then also expounding upon the space race of the 1960s. And so I kind of took um, input from the whole periods, historical aspects to create the storyline and the lore for the gradient of season one to season two. So how did you get the message out? on their second NFT collection, right? Because obviously you wanted to expand the community. So you must have done some marketing or some sort of promotion. Tell us a little bit about what you did there to get the word out. Yeah, so we actually partnered with established brands that are in the space who basically align with us and our values. We offered value to them in the form of free NFTs. So instead of doing allow list spots, we basically said, hey, we'd love to give you guys, your community, 25 
free NFTs to give to your community. That way, you know, it doesn't take capital from their community. Just out of curiosity, did you use PreMint for that or what did, how did you go ahead and? Yes, it was PreMint. Okay. Yeah, we used PreMint for that. So for those that don't know, that's just a raffle kind of system, right? Yes, it's absolutely fantastic. I highly recommend utilizing PreMint. I think it's great. Um, I also really wanted to focus, I think this was something that I had kind of pulled from from my own experience was the need of kind of a white glove service whenever you are giving somebody an ask. And so what I mean by that is that like one of the things that I worked on was putting everything that was related to season two into a PDF that people can interact with essentially that basically laid out the details of why season two, what it is that we're doing, how it is that we can go about getting this accomplished and why it is that we want to partner and basically laid that out on the table and sent that over to people so that it could be very easy for them to have the opportunity to partner with us. Because, you know, if, if I'm giving an ask to another community, I don't want them to have to lift a finger. I love that. Real quick, when you said established brands, some people in my marketing community might think big brands. I think, are you talking NFT brands or are you talking about actual companies? All the above, actually. So we partnered with World of Women, Women Rise, Boss Beauties, and then we also partnered with Hello Sunshine, as well as Amber Vittoria. She's an independent artist. They all had the opportunity to give these NFTs to their communities. And for those that don't know what Hello Sunshine is, what is that exactly? So that was originally formulated as Reese Witherspoon's production company. Ah. Yeah. So they've produced shows like Surface, Big Little Lies, a lot of really amazing shows. They're an incredible company. I really recommend checking out what they're doing. I think it's really special and they produce some amazing shows. But yeah, they're a fantastic team. I love this. I love this strategy. You you found some strategic partners. You agreed to give them some free NFTs. And what was the strategy behind that? Why did you decide to do that? Because I have a very strong idea and feeling of collaboration, not competition. I really believe growth for the better and for diversity through the vehicle of collaboration. And so that's a big part of why I wanted to do that. I also feel like the Web3 space in its own tends to value and believe in collaboration. So that being my independent value and that being the Web3 value as well, it seemed like it was just the perfect opportunity and also just to give back to the community at whole. Well, I would imagine you also were trying to draw people from that community into your community as well, right? Yeah. And actually, there's a lot of overlap in the communities also, because as you know, generally, if somebody's a holder of one NFT, they're also a holder of several other different NFTs. So absolutely, you know, if I can market to these people who are very like-minded individuals, you know, for our community, why the heck not? I think it's a great strategy. Did you do any other kind of marketing? Did you do, yeah. tell us a little bit more. Yeah, I think one of the most important things that people need to recognize and also probably one of my most frequently asked questions by others is, you know, how do I market? How do I get the word out there? And so one of the biggest things I have to say to people is to really become platform agnostic. And so for us, that marketing came about via TikTok videos, Instagram reels, YouTube shorts, long form YouTube videos, Twitter spaces, Twitter posts, Discord announcements, all sorts of different information. Pretty much I think the only thing that we didn't have was newsletters, which I actually am starting to be a bigger and bigger believer of. But really getting your information out there through multiple different vehicles, multiple different platforms, because you know one of the things that we need to recognize is not everybody's the same. Some people in Web3 also still have a nine to five job. And so they can't go digging through Discord. They can't go digging through Twitter. You know, they can't go digging through Instagram Reels. But what they do really value and appreciate is maybe getting a newsletter into their inbox that has all the information about what date is your mint, how much is it going to mint for, and so on in one newsletter in their mailbox 
so they can quickly get through it and get that information. But then there's also the individual like my husband, who's a massive believer in long form videos and will sit and watch an hour and a half long informational video about something to gain all the information from it. So you need to think about the entirety of your audience. And it's more than just one type of individual. Had you already established like a presence from your first project on the various like Instagram, TikTok, all that kind of stuff? Did you have a, for lack of better words, an opportunity to already have an established audience that was following you in these cases? Yes, yes, definitely very blessed in that regard. We already had an audience on TikTok, on YouTube, on Instagram, on Twitter, and on Discord. But, you know, you also have to look at the fact that, like, you've got to start somewhere. Even if you don't have an audience in those areas, you most certainly can begin to grow an audience in those areas. So even if you don't have people already following you through those avenues, still go for it. I love that. You mentioned that your husband prefers long form video. Did you all create? the two of you talking about the project and stick it up on YouTube for people that really wanted to go deep and get to know who the founders of this project are? Yeah, we actually had a season two 101 that basically talked about why season two, how is season two going to be functioning? When is it going to be minting? How much is it going to be minting for? So that was a long form video, but we were also able to break that video up into little bitty chunks that we could release on various social media platforms so that we were targeting a multitude of individuals that could receive that information. Did you do anything in your Discord community, like live audio rooms or anything on spaces? I'm just curious if you did any just spoken word kind of stuff outside of video. Yeah, we did do some Twitter spaces. We didn't do any Discord stages that I can recall, but definitely text type information. It also happened that we were launching right after VCon and NFT NYC. And so we attended VCon. We were one of the eight selected projects and brands to display at NFT land at VCon. So that was a great opportunity for me to meet and greet with people and talk a little bit about season two, as well as NFT NYC. Like we kind of did a little bit of a circuit at NFT NYC talking to people and sharing with people that season two was coming as well. For those of us that didn't make it to VCon, what was that little NFT land thing? Explain what that is so because a lot of us obviously haven't been there. It was so good. It was so brilliant. Basically, what it was was an experience for people that were attendees of VCon to be able to experience their NFTs kind of come to life, like their community come to life. So like we had dead fellas across from us and they had this really cool kind of like a underground zombie type of activation across from us that kind of gave you the vibe of dead fellas. There was Creature World, there was Quarter Machine, there was Supducks, there was World of Women. And so basically they were all like these 20 foot by 10 foot spaces that people could go into and really kind of feel engrossed in and enveloped in the brand or the community it is that they're either involved with, maybe interested in, or just something that they're, you know, wanting to speculate and check out. But it was brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. People loved it. It was a great time. And it was probably one of like, I mean, I say this, but I also didn't get to peruse VCon too too much because I I mostly hung out at our booth, but I would say it was probably one of the more popular activations at VCon for sure. It was great. Do you feel like in your case that you actually got a lot of people buying your NFT project as a result of experience in it, where some of these others might have been more drawing their existing community? I'm just curious. Yeah, I actually do think we really did. I, I think what really gave people that opportunity to feel like they wanted to be participants in the women and weapons ecosystem was the opportunity to meet team. Um, it was myself, my husband, our community manager that were there. We had some of our advisors there. We had our content director there. And so the community got to come and really like get to know all of us, 
engage with all of us. We also had an activation while we were at VCon called the Trailblazers event. People got to engage with us there too. But, you know, I think people getting the opportunity to get to know the founders and who people are like behind the curtains and behind the scenes is something that's really special. And I think is also kind of a massive selling point whenever it comes to people trusting in your brand and wanting to be involved with your brand. How did you decide what to price the NFT for the second? What was the initial mint price for your first one? And then what did you decide to do on the second one? Just out of curiosity, because some people are always trying to figure out how they ought to price. The schematics, yeah. So our season one was minted at 0.05, which as you know, Ethereum was exponentially more expensive at that point in time. But it was a, I think, a good median price point that was within reach for a multitude of people. And then whenever season two came along, my husband and I, we decided, let's go ahead and make this a very within reach price point and kind of throw it back as like a nod to our season one. So we mentioned season two as well at 0.05 ETH, which I think Ethereum was what, 13, 1400 at the time or so. So it's a very accessible price point for a lot of people from a lot of diverse backgrounds to have the opportunity to get into the NFT space and get involved. Let's talk a little bit more about collaborations. You were very smart and strategic about how you went about doing the collaboration. For people that are thinking about doing a collaboration, what insights do you want to give them if they're outside of the obvious stuff about making it really easy and all that kind of stuff? Like where do they even find somebody? How do they even think about who they might want to collaborate with? Yeah, well, I think first and foremost, you need to find additional brands or communities that you feel like have a very similar set of ideas and beliefs and, you know, a similar community to your own, a similar brand to your own, something that vibes well. And I really, really appreciate going deep, not wide whenever it comes to brand partnerships or any sort of partnership. I think it's great for the long haul. I also really believe in the philosophy of collaboration. So I think whenever it comes to collaborations, for us in particular, you know, our community loves to see us working with brands and projects that they love. So you can also take a moment to kind of listen to your community, listen to what it is that they're saying, what it is that they're looking for as well, but also trying to offer value and making it as easy as possible to work with those collaborators, work with those brands and so on. So let's say that we have an NFT project. Obviously we're talking about the second launch, but maybe even there's some people listening right now that that want to do collaborations even for their initial launch. I would imagine that existing NFT projects get pitched constantly with the collaborations. I mean, like I can't even begin to tell you how many discords I'm in and there's always this stuff never, it seems never ending. Right. So what do we need to know about reaching out to these people? Because you know how it is when you're successful, everybody wants to work with you and then it's very hard to get through that gate, if you will. So how can we stand out or be a little bit different? I think one of the biggest things, at least it stands out to me is whenever people come to me very genuinely, like you see a lot of like the copy and paste messages that come in and, you know, you know that it's been copy and pasted. Sometimes it doesn't even have your name. It has somebody else's name on it. And those are generally the ones that they kind of totally blow past. But it's the ones that really come to me with a genuine feel to them, I guess is the best way to put it. Another thing that I think is really important when you're reaching out to a brand or another community to collaborate with is to have an idea of what exactly your ask is. Because I think coming to a community, a founder, a brand or whatever it is and saying, hey, can we collaborate? And then that brand says, you know, I could be open to it. What are you thinking? And they're like, well, what are you thinking? I think that people kind of need to reframe that a little bit because probably nine times out of 10, that community, that founder, that brand is so busy 
that, you know, they're not really thinking of what to do. They're kind of leaning on to you to bring an idea to them or a proposal to them. So if you are going to reach out to a brand, a community or anything, know what your ask is, perhaps even have it mocked up, have it in a pitch deck, something of that sort that can be very easily and quickly digestible for the brand, for the founder, for the biz dev individual. That way you really make it white glove for them, because I think that people are much more successful if they're pitching an idea to somebody that's very well formulated and very digestible. But, you know, another thing that I want to say to people is just to also not be afraid. I mean, you know, probably 90% of people are going to say no, but that's okay because 10% might say yes. So don't hesitate to reach out and give it your best go. I think it could certainly prove to be fruitful for people. I don't know if you remember your pitch, but which one were you most nervous pitching and how did you go about preparing for that? And just out of curiosity, maybe what angle did you take, you know? For season two collaborations? Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't really think that I was nervous about any of which one were you most hopeful that they would say yes or maybe you're just not concerned because you're a great communicator and you're a great salesperson but like how did you prepare you you obviously had a handful of bigger names that you mentioned like how did you prepare for a world of women or some of these other ones you know that are really big projects yeah you know i think again going to them with a very genuine ask and heart and, and really trying to make it easy and digestible for the person that I'm asking something from, right? So thankfully, I'm like fairly agnostic across like the Adobe Illustrator, Photoshop, InDesign and so on. So I created, you know, like a two pager InDesign document that was like a PDF like could a be proposal. saved. Yeah. Yeah, it was a proposal, but it was a PDF that you could interact with. So I had clickable links and everything associated with it. And so being able to just like pitch that to different brands and be like, hey, I would love to be able to do this with you. Here's two pages, only two pages that you have to read that has everything that you need to know about what it is that I'm asking of you. And maybe it's a yes, maybe it's a no. Either way, I love you and I'll give you big hugs when I see you in real life. So so generally speaking, what was the offer that you would give them and what would you expect in return for that? Yeah, so the offer that we were giving them was anywhere between five to 25 free NFTs for their community. Um, and basically the ask was for them to tweet about it and put it also in their Discord announcements. So it's basically a, they're, you know, having the opportunity to gift 25 of, you know, our free season two NFTs to their community, which is certainly, you know, something that excites their community. It also gives us visibility across, you know, their Twitter and their Discords. So perhaps we're reaching out to people that would have not usually seen us, seen our brand and so on. So it was definitely like a, give take type of scenario and, and engagement as well. Um, and I think that's that's really the type of engagement that you want to have for most people is to not take, take, take too much, but rather also have the opportunity to give to them and make sure that you're making things easy for them as well. Do you recommend being a member of the community before you actually make the ask? Like for example, purchase an NFT, make sure you have it in your collection and let them know you're a member of the community and you're aware of the kinds of things that they talk about inside the community. I mean, that can get costly depending on who you're going after, but is that something that you would recommend in certain cases? What's your thoughts on that? I don't think that you have to be a member of their community to be an appreciator of their community and their brand and what it is that you build. Because, you know, perhaps somebody absolutely loves the doodles and wants to collaborate with the doodles, knows everything about doodles inside and out, but can't afford to buy one of their NFTs. You know, I don't think that that should be a ding on them. 
you know, because they're clearly appreciators. They know what it is that Doodles is doing. They know about the team. Maybe they've been, you know, intrigued by and invested in Doodles community since it came to fruition, but they just could never afford one. And I don't think that's something that you feel like you have to own that community's NFT to be reaching out to them and wanting to collaborate with them. So women and weapons, what's the vision from here? Now that you've got a nice community, you've got two collections and an original Genesis project with 10 NFTs, like where do you hope to take things from here? Yeah. So basically what I've been saying, like since fruition is that I'm really wanting to continue to grow the women and weapons brand. I'm wanting to expand it past the borders. I'm wanting to build upon the lore and the storyline of women and weapons, but I'm also really wanting to bring our characters to life. So we have a few activations that we're working on at the moment to bring one of our characters to life that I'm really excited about the community getting to see and getting to interact with. Wink, wink. And then, uh, you know, also- We talking metaverse here, maybe? Is that kind of what I'm hearing? I would say not metaverse, not metaverse space. Oh, okay. All right. Um, Think something that's maybe a little bit more uh, interactive on a currently very accessible scale. Okay. But, you know, also, I think that our lore is kind of fun. I think it's interesting. I think it's something that I would like to delve into, you know- comics and other storylines with as well. But also, you know, I want to continue to bring about art whenever it comes to the women and weapons and continue to support artists and women across the globe as well, because I don't know if we've touched on it yet, but women and weapons gives 5% of its initial proceeds as well as secondary proceeds to the Malala Fund, which helps girls across the world gain access to an education, because I genuinely believe that education can 100% be a woman's weapon. And so continuing to give back and make a positive global impact as well. Very cool. If people want to discover you, do you have a preferred social platform? And if they want to discover more about your collection, where do you want to send them? Yeah, so you can head over to our website. It's www.womenandweapons.io. Also across both Instagram and Twitter, it's at women and weapons. And if you want to find me personally, I am across Instagram and Twitter at NFT Sarah, S-A-R-A Bauman, B-A-U-M-A-N-N. So feel free to reach out. Feel free to say hi. I am like nine times out of 10, a very friendly person. So happy for people to reach out. Sarah Bauman, thank you so much for answering all my questions and really helping a lot of people understand what's involved with a second NFT project. We're way better because of it. Absolutely. I really appreciate you having me on today, Michael. I think it's great that we're getting to share some information with others. Hey, if you missed anything, we took all the notes for you over at socialmediaexaminer.com slash C40. If you knew the show, be sure to follow us. If you've been a long time listener, would you let your friends know about the show? I'm at Stelzner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Crypto Business Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day and may Web3 continue to change your world. The Crypto Business Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. The information provided in the Crypto Business Podcast is provided solely for educational purposes. Do not treat what you hear as investment, trading, or financial advice. Do your own research. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.